It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Thank you for joining us for a Thursday edition of our podcast, which is Q&A Day. It's a day I look forward to. A lot of thought-provoking questions, and we cannot do it without uh, the keeper of the questions, the asker of the questions, and occasionally the provider of the answers. Mary Langston, how are you? I'm great, Trey. How are you? I'm doing great. I want to tell you something that, I mean, I know you don't like compliments, Um, You'll probably close your ears, but my pledge class of my my fraternity pledge class. uh, So that would have been what? Spring of 1983 at Baylor. Mm -hmm. They got together in Texas and I couldn't I could not go. I was not able to make it, but they called me. So I was on the phone with them for about an hour and a half. And I cannot tell you the number of them that listened to one or other of the podcasts. And they asked me about you. No, that's of so they ask sweet. about Terry, but they they ask about Terry and they ask about you. So I don't even think you've met any of them. But I mean, well, maybe. that's very kind of them. I appreciate that. And I'm sorry you couldn't go, but hopefully next time. Well, there won't be another 40 year reunion, I don't think, because I'd make it 80. And I yeah. unless you want to like dig up some bones, I don't believe I'm going to be making that. <laughs> now, if they have a 50, there's a chance Terry would like use one of those medical helicopters and take me out there for that. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I still see a good number of them. It's just mm-hmm. all of us together. Um, they would have been great to be there, but they, they called me and it was just like old times. To and them it was home. just like you were there. That was sweet. They called um, too. And that was kind. They asked about me and of course, Terry. Well, I wanted to let you and I guess all our podcast listeners know that. <laughs> so with that, I guess we'll get started on the questions. That sounds good. And I think it's officially autumn this week. Is that right? It is. It's like the 23rd, maybe. Is that right? Okay. I think so. I'm practicing using the word autumn versus fall. I like the way it sounds. So yeah, autumn is a beautiful word. Um, I, I think you're right. It's coming, um, which means... The f- clock going back is coming, mm-hmm. which means it's going to get dark at like 345. So that'll be the sad part of it all for me. But I love autumn. Mm-hmm. But we do have more months where it is, you know, it gets darker later. So that's the positive of it. But we have a lot of great questions today. So are you ready to get started? I sure am. Okay, let's do it. We appreciate you all for sending us your thoughts and your questions. We'll start with a question from Kevin in Montana. He writes, with so many people not really liking either leading candidate for president, is it possible a third party could enter the race and win? If not, which side do you think a third party would hurt more? Kevin, that's a a great question. I was actually thinking about that. A little bit earlier today, there's some polling out, not that I'm like super, super interested or follow polling, but the headline caught my attention. It's like the highest percentage of people 
in the last 75 years have like no confidence in the political institutions. I don't have confidence in either one of the parties. So I say that to say, yes, based on that, when you have like three quarters of all Americans not having confidence in either political party, you would think that would create a potential environment, at least for a third party to thrive. So in a vacuum, the answer to your question is yes. I think it is possible. Here's where it gets limiting. Um, I had Andrew Yang on our television show Sunday night, um, and I probably didn't do a good job asking the questions, but I, I was trying to figure out, okay, one party wants this, one party wants that. What does the third party want? I mean, pick your issue from social issues to spending. So let's let's assume Republicans want to spend ten dollars on a program. Democrats want to spend fifty dollars on a program. What what's the third party's position? I mean, do you split the do you split the difference? Do you have a completely separate position that that's not a legitimate government function or program? Therefore, we should spend zero. It, to me, it comes down to the issues. Where where does that third party, is it a faint echo of the Republican Party? Like, we already have third parties. There's the Libertarian Party, which you could argue is, I don't want to say to the right of the Republican Party, but it is more conservative in some regards than the conservative party. So that's the ground they've staked out. You have the Green Party. Um, you have... Uh, I think Ralph Nader had a party uh, way back when, for those who remember Ralph Nader. But whether it's abortion or student loans or fill in the blank, Ukraine, China, NATO expansion, uh, the death penalty, uh, the over federalization of crime, those are issues. So where does this third party fall on the issues? That's what I don't hear. It is true that people are like increasingly fed up with the two-party system. I'm not sure it's true is whether they would not also be fed up with a third party if that third party was exactly like the other two parties. The other part of your question is, can they win? Not yet. What they, in a really curious way, do is keep the side that they are actually closest to from an ideological standpoint, from winning. You go back and think Ross Perot was much more aligned with then-President George H.W. Bush on the issues than he was Bill Clinton. But his candidacy took enough votes away from President Bush that Bill Clinton won. Jill Stein, for those who remember her, you can make an argument. I have not checked the math, so I'm probably wrong like I usually am on math issues. But <laughs> The vote, she did not take votes from Donald Trump. She took votes from Hillary Clinton. So even though she was on the left side of the political spectrum, all she did was hurt the other candidate on the left side of the political spectrum. So there's an old saying, Mary Langston, you won't like it because it involves violence. But if you're going to take a shot at the king, you, you, you better hit him. If you're going to form a third party, you better be sure that you actually are going to win, because if you don't win, all you're doing 
is enabling the side that you have the least in common with. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that question. And thank you, Kevin. Our next question is from Rebecca in South Carolina. She writes, what is your definition of respect from a biblical and political standpoint? Well, Rebecca, thank you for that. I um, do not profess to be a Bible scholar. That I will leave that to Terry and Mary Langston and Sharia, um, that particular part of it. I guess if I were to think of a biblical story on respect, I would pick a story that I'm sure everyone remembers, and they're going to think, God, that's a crazy story. What made you think about that? Do you remember Mary Langston when David was on the run from King Saul? Mm -hmm. Do you remember when he was like having to stay in caves and having to eat mm -hmm. food? I think food that was like supposed to be used for other purposes. And he had a chance to kill Saul. Mm -hmm. And he did not. He cut a little strip from his garment, if memory serves me correctly. And again, it usually does not when it comes to Bible <laughs> stories. But he cut a little garment to let Saul know he was there, but he didn't kill him. And to me, that is respect. They were enemies, or Saul certainly hated David, but he respected the position of king enough that maybe if we're in hand-to-hand -hand combat, I'll do what I need to do to survive. But I'm not going to kill you while you sleep. Respect outside of like a biblical perspective from a political standpoint, it's being fair in how you couch your opponent's position. It's being careful not to judge motives if you don't know the motive. I'll say this. I think a lot of things have changed since I left. But when I was there, most members, not all, but most members tried very hard not to say my opponent voted for this bill because he or she loves to spend money and doesn't care about the federal deficit or debt. That's usually not what they said. Mm. They said this bill raises the debt or the deficit. I wish my friend from Nebraska had not voted for it. Um, I am sure my friend from Nebraska is just as concerned as I am for our children and grandchildren's futures. But this is not the way to protect it. So you don't like challenge people's motives. You did this because, first of all, you got no idea why someone did something. And you'd be surprised if you knew the motive sometimes. So respect to me is fairness. It is decency. It is treating, I think this is another story from the Bible, Mary Langston. You correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there like a Samaritan Mm -hmm. And yeah, it is. I think I'm right about that. It is treating others the way that you would like to be treated. Mm. Um, now, the next question I'll bet Rebecca has is how do we get more of that in politics? Mm. And my answer will make absolutely no one happy, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It will happen, Rebecca, when we make it happen. When you stop supporting candidates who who don't both vote and act like you want them to because right now people in politics think if i talk like you want me to and i vote like you want me to then i can act any way i want i don't think it's like too much to have someone who both votes and acts the way you want them to i don't think like i don't think that's a like a super uh ridiculous set of requirements to impose on someone 
you can get like a well-trained rhesus monkey to vote the right way. It's not that hard to put the voting card in the little slot, and there are only three options. There's a red button, a green button, and kind of an amber button, which means present. It ain't that tough. I mean, I, I literally have had dogs that could do it. So the voting part is not tough. The how you act part and how you talk part and how you frame issues, that's where I think we ought to spend a little more time judging our elected officials. But respect for me for me is fairness, and it is treating people the way that you would like to be treated. Well, good word and good advice, Trey. So thank you for that. And thank you, Rebecca, for that question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Our last question is from Lamont, and they write, how should a politician walk the tightrope between what he or she wants and their constituents? What makes a good politician? So very similar questions. Uh, it is. And, and Lamont, um, i tell you what the kind of the mantra that we used to hear, particularly when we first got there. And if you ever get into Congress, if you ever get into a state House, county council, city council. Somebody may say this too. They'll say it in this order vote your conscience, vote your constituents, and help when you can. In that order, vote your conscience, vote your constituents, and then the third is help when you can. So I never, in eight years, no one ever, ever, ever said, if you don't vote this way, something bad is going to happen to you. Not once. Now, they spent, I mean, like among leadership in the House, I had plenty of constituents who said, if you vote that way, I'll never vote for you again. But I'm talking about leadership in the House, the people that are trying to marshal the votes for something. I never once. Now, it wasn't Boehner. It wasn't Ryan. It wasn't McCarthy. It wasn't Eric Cantor. It wasn't Stevie Scalise. It wasn't the Whips. They never once said, if you don't do this, there are going to be really, really bad consequences for you. They would say, vote your conscience, vote your constituents, and if you can help, that's great. I mean, it makes no sense to like not vote the way your constituents want you to vote. You won't be there very long. Mm-hmm. Now, what some people try to do is some people try to say, well, my constituents are wrong. This is a matter of conscience. And I'll say, okay, there probably are a couple of like conscience votes. I guess the decision on whether or not to go to war is probably a conscience vote. And there are others that are just so seeped in morality and the issues are just bigger than your job. In other words, I'd rather lose my job than vote a certain way. Impeachment might be that way, but those are few and far between. What I used to hear was my colleagues, some of them, every vote was a vote of conscience to them. Every one. The vote on whether or not we should adjourn for the week was a vote of conscience. Whether or not to approve the journal, which not a single one of them had read, was a vote of conscience. Whether or not to approve a rule or name a post office in Timbuktu was a vote of conscience. I used to have colleagues, they would go, this is what just always threw me off, Mary Langston, and you probably could tell it threw me off because you were up there too. 
Mm-hmm. There we would have these votes, and there'd be a group that told me they went and prayed about it, and they they were voting no. And they'd go to the chapel because you can't like have a conversation with God except in the chapel. Apparently, you can't do it in your office. <laughs> you can't do it in the hallways. You gotta you gotta go to the chapel. So they would go to the chapel, and God told them to vote no. And then I had another group that they also went to the same chapel, but God told them to vote yes. And I was sitting there thinking, I wonder why God can't make up his mind whether or not he wants this bill to pass or not. It just seems strange. And then it dawned on me, not to sound cynical, it dawned on me that every now and again, people like sort of use that as their excuse to vote how they want to vote. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Gosh, I hate to sound cynical. So those conscience votes are few and far between, Lamont. The tightrope between what you want and your constituents want, to me, was an easy one. If something means a lot to me, a lot to me, and I'm going to do it even though I'm in the minority, then I should be prepared to walk away from my job. Then I, I don't represent. I tell people all the time. Well, not all the time, because people don't like say, well, why did you leave anymore? I don't hear that as much anymore. Why did you leave every now and again? People would say, I wish you were still there. I don't. I really don't hear that much anymore, but I used to. And my answer was always the same. I would not have survived. Mm-hmm. I would not have survived the votes that came in the two years after I left and certainly not the four years after I left. I would have been I would have been voted out. I would have lost a primary. And and I would have been out. There's nothing wrong with leaving before that happens. So if you know that you are casting a vote that is not consistent with the wishes of your constituents, but yet you feel really, really convicted to do it, then you should do it and don't make them push you out the window. Leave. There's nothing dishonorable about saying, you know what? I disagree with the majority of my constituents. Um, but they are in the majority. So I no longer reflect what they want me to reflect. Therefore, I don't have any business being their representative. That's what the word a representative really is to represent a group of people. And if you are out of step with a majority of those that you represent, you have two choices. You can go persuade them that you're right and that there's a different way or a better way. I mean, we've all had to do that before. You can persuade. Or if you can't persuade them, then you need to say, look, this means enough to me that I'm willing to lose my job. What I never liked was everything being a vote of conscience, and then you wrap it in religion, because who in the world is ever going to say, well, no, God didn't tell you to do that. I just don't think God is that interested in our motions to adjourn. So that's not a conviction vote. That's not a morality vote. That's a vote on whether or not you go home on Thursdays or Fridays. So what what is that conscience vote? They're, they're few and far between. The tightrope is easy for me. If it means enough to you to go your own separate way, then it, need, then it needs to mean enough to you to go find another line of work. Now, what makes a good politician? The opposite of everything I just said. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering yeah. that question. I, <laughs> I didn't know I if you had more your to voice, that. I can tell in your voice how thankful you are for that dose of reality. But unfortunately, what I said is true. 
It is. And I think more people should hear what you said. And I think um, the podcast on Tuesday would be a good one for people to listen to as well, because it talks a lot about kind of what makes a good politician and all these little things we've touched on today. Uh, What makes a good politician in my eyes is not what makes a successful politician in today's world. Mm, What do you mean? um, Good leaders find something worth sacrificing for and they sacrifice for it. That's what they do. They're the Mm -hmm. first to pick up a heavy task. They're the last to put it down. Um, And right now, as long as you have like a super long selfie stick, you can be a good politician. Mm. So it's got nothing to do with conscience. It really has nothing to do with your constituents. It has everything to do with notoriety and fame. And I'm really, really glad I'm not there in the midst of all that. Plus, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast with you. (laughs) That's true. We wouldn't get to hear all your answers and advice. Uh, that might be a reason for you to run so you don't have to look for those <laughs> answers anymore. But no, I love not the at questions. all. I love the questions. So, because Terry, when Terry asks me questions, she also provides the answer. So, this is one <laughs> of those rare instances where I get to like participate. <laughs> uh, she will ask the question and then tell me what my position on that issue is. <laughs> but I'm sure she does it in a beautiful way. Uh, she does. And anybody who knows her knows she doesn't do that. So. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. I hope everybody has a great week. Autumn is in the air and college football and South Carolina showed up well against Georgia. Not didn't win and there are no moral victories. But as Coach Beamer said, uh, they look like they belonged. So mm-hmm. it was even though it was a loss, it was not a like a really unpleasant weekend for me. And Dallas looks good. So. We'll see what this this weekend holds. I'm sure it doesn't hold football for you, Mary Langston, but I I hope it holds like going door to door and doing nice things for people or whatever it is you do on the weekend. (laughs) And hoping that your teams win or do well, at least play well. Yeah, well, me too. Thank you for that. You might want to like up your prayers for that. Get some candles and start doing something. Candles, sit in some sackcloth, whatever you need to do to. Uh, to help me there. All right. You take care of yourself, okay? And thank you all for listening. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.